0: Well, I have been waiting on this podcast for a long time. I jumped on his podcast a few years ago. And as it turns out, it was about five years ago that Jason Romano, then producer for Mike and Mike in the Morning at ESPN, felt a holy stirring to do something new, to leave everything that he had known, been at ESPN for over 20 years of his life. He grew up in the Northeast in New York. He knew he wanted to be in media. He worked, he clawed. He ended up getting his way to ESPN in a pretty prominent role there as a producer, but he felt a stirring. Just about the same time I felt a stirring to start this Above and Beyond podcast. Actually, it was by about a couple of weeks. It was the only difference uh, between Jason releasing his Sports and Faith podcast and me releasing Above and Beyond. I've known Jason for a lot of years. I knew him a little bit at ESPN. I've really gotten to know him over five years. He's written two incredible books. He's raising a beautiful daughter out there in Connecticut that is still home for him. He's speaks across the country encouraging men in particular on forgiveness but he's got a story that resonates i think with everyone out there i hope you enjoy the conversation as much as i did years in the making with former espn staffer jason romano now runs sports spectrum magazine an amazing podcast an amazing story an amazing young man here to tell his story Let's just start where our paths really, (laughs) I guess, uh, had a very similar beginning, at a very similar route. Take me into your podcast and how that came to life.
1: Yeah, it's funny um, when I remember being at ESPN as a booker and then as a social media guy and you were be making a few of those trips to Bristol. You didn't make a ton, but you were in Bristol fairly frequently enough where I saw you But I never walked up to introduce myself or had you on or talk to you about anything specific. And I wished I had. Uh, And that's the case for many of my former ESPN comrades who I wish that I had gotten uh, to know a little bit better and talk to about their faith or other things. And I got to know a lot of people there. So that's not to say that uh, I was just sitting in my cubicle, not talking to anybody. But somewhere around 2015, I started – thinking about wanting to do more for the Lord. I didn't know what that meant. Didn't know that meant leaving ESPN, but that's where it started kind of the birth in my spirit. And I spent the next year and a half really praying, talking to a ton of people, uh, including my now current boss at Sports Spectrum, Steve Stenstrom, and in 2016, I was working on Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN, and it was the fall of 2016, and I got a call from Steve and, and another guy who worked with him, a guy named Raymond. And they basically said they had acquired or purchased Sports Spectrum. At the time, they were just running their own ministry, a ministry called PAO. And then they acquired, or however the word is to to be used, they got Sports Spectrum basically under the, the ministry. And I knew what Sports Spectrum was. I'm sure you did too. It's It's the intersection of sports and faith. And I always was... Fond of it from afar, and I always thought, man, there's such a cool, unique niche that they have to talk to athletes about Jesus. That would be amazing to be a part of that someday. I never thought that that would actually happen, and then it happened, and they kind of came to me and said, if you're still thinking about doing more for the Lord, we might have an opportunity that might meet that, and that's where they came to me and said, what do you think about helping us relaunch Sports Spectrum? And the biggest thing we want you to do, besides the website and the help with the magazine, is to launch this podcast. And I remember telling them, absolutely, I'll produce it for you. It'll be amazing. Who's going to be the host? (laughs) Because remember, Brock, for 20 years, I was a producer. I always wanted to be on air when I was in college, but I kind of relegated myself to the producer role after I graduated college and then eventually got to ESPN. I was never on the air there, except for occasional like pop-in things that happen on different shows when you work on them, but never on air or interviewing anybody. And when I asked who is the host, they said, well, it would be you, Jason. <laughs> and I said, no, you got the wrong guy. I said, uh, I haven't hosted anything since college. Are you sure? And they said, listen, you worked with the best interviewers in the business, the guys like Bob Lee and Mike Greenberg, And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Sage Steele, there's so many great interviewers at ESPN. And you've worked as a producer for many years. You know how to ask questions. So just do that. And I said, okay. And they were great because they never really looked over my shoulder and started giving me all this feedback. I just kind of was thrown to the wolves. And, you know, the long story short of this is that I said, yes, I left ESPN and I started this podcast called the Sports Spectrum Podcast, March 31st, 2017. I don't know when Above and Beyond launched, but it was very close to that date, Brock. Do you remember the date? It would have been, gosh,
0: I think it was a few, woo, Like a week later, maybe? I think it was a week later. We were on yeah. spring break, so it was definitely in March of 2017, I believe.
1: And yeah, yeah and was your first guest also, Matt Hasselbeck? So he was actually, he was the first guest that I wanted to launch the podcast with. So the interview was Matt Hasselbeck with Matt Chandler, yes. who was a yeah. fairly well-known pastor and author out of Dallas. We were at a conference together and I saw Matt and Matt and suddenly my brain went to Mike and Mike for some reason. So I said, would you guys both want to come and do a podcast? They didn't know each other at all. But I said, yeah, let's just, let's just chat and see what this, where this goes. I love that it was very informal There wasn't a lot of prep. It was just bringing two really smart guys who loved the Lord from completely different backgrounds and talking about their faith. I think I would have done the interview different knowing what I know now than I did then. Uh, I was kind of going back and forth as opposed to having a a real conversation. But we ended up making that episode number two, and Mm -hmm. it's still to this day our most listened to podcast. Five almost five years later. Wow. So, um, but yeah, it's funny how. And Hasselbeck told me that that day after we did the interview. He goes, "Do you know Brock Huard?" I said, "Of course, I know who he is." He goes, "He's starting a podcast. It's like yours. You and him need to kind of talk." <laughs> and you know how Matt is, Matt Hasselbeck. Yep. He's just kind of like random happen. You know, just you guys yeah. need to talk. Yeah. There was no real anything other than just go talk. You can figure it out. And uh, you and I both. Uh, connected on text I think and Twitter and you've been a, an amazing encouragement uh to me and I love your show and it's on my list of subscribed podcasts I, anytime a I release a show releases I listen to it and um, and now we're working together on some forms in, in the mm-hmm. sports spectrum world a little bit and it's been cool to watch this relationship grow as well so well, let's rewind an amazing it. Let's re- journey
0: it has been such a blast let's rewind it back to the early days you're a northeast guy as we uh tape this podcast in february of 2022 you're about to embark on one of your bigger weeks you head down to the to the big game to the super bowl and you get a chance to be on radio row and connect with so many players and it's been awesome to watch your platform grow and expand and people want to be a part of it and they want to share their story, which is phenomenal. But this podcast is about your story. And Mm -hmm. I've read your book. Uh, You've you've put out two books. We'll get to that as well in a moment. Uh, I've known you, as you said, a little bit from our similar paths at espn for a lot of years in different capacities and now kind of yearning to spread you know just god's love and testimonies through the platforms he's given to you and me Mm -hmm. but let's rewind it back to jason romano's home you said you knew of sports spectrum you were a rabid, like most Northeasterners, uh, professional sports fan growing up. You and your brothers. That is and true. You, and your family <laughs> and your dad. So yeah. take, take me back to where your faith began. Was it in that home, in a competitive home, in a sports world home, in a, in a home that loved the Cowboys and the Mets and just about every other team, the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> as well? Uh, <laughs> was that the birth
1: uh, the birth of your faith in the birth of your love for, for God and Jesus? It depends on what you mean by birth, because I did not have a relationship with Jesus until I was 27 years old. So that's much later in life, right? I'm married by this time. I'm at ESPN by this time. So it's a much different stage of life for me to begin a journey with Christ. But, I went to church as a kid. I mean, does that count? My grandfather would take me to church on Sundays. It was uh, St. Patrick's Church in Ravina, New York. And, you know, really the only reason I went was because he promised to take us bowling after or, you know, go play in the arcade and then go watch some football if it was the fall or baseball or something. So everything usually for me revolved around um, sports and just like every kid, you know, getting something in order to do something. It's all about, you know, the gratification aspect of what kids are, you know? I'll buy you a toy if you do this. So that was basically my childhood. I mean, I grew up in a home where mom and dad were divorced when I was five. I grew up in a home where I was with mom most of the time. Weekends were usually spent with my grandmother and grandfather and my dad. Uh, These are my grandmother and grandfather who, who are the parents of my father. Um, weirdly enough, even though my mom and dad, when they split, didn't have the best relationship together, my mom and my, and my grandparents on my dad's side were really close, had an amazing relationship. And my grandparents were always there for us, even as we got older. So we spent a ton of time with Nana and Pa, as we called them. And usually those weekends also consisted of my dad being around because my dad, as after the divorce, and my dad is an alcoholic and struggled for many years drinking, and he was struggling during those early years too. He was usually either living with my grandparents or they had kind of a split level house where he had an apartment and they were in another. So they were always around. And I have two younger brothers. So all three of us boys, Romano boys, spent a ton of time with my grandparents on weekends. Usually that consisted of going to the mall to buy a toy or going to the movies or most of the time watching sports or even playing sports. So sports was the God, Brock, as a Mm. kid. It certainly wasn't Jesus, and I wish it was. Uh, I'm grateful that I have a daughter now who I got to raise uh, as a believer in Jesus from basically the time she was born, and I didn't have that. Uh, I grew up in a home that was, again, nominal, church going. My grandfather was probably the most devout of anybody uh, you know, super religious in that sense, um, always there on Sundays at church. And he brought us along Christmas and Easter. We would go, I made my first communion. I made my, you know, confirmation that you make when you're 14 or 15 years old in the Catholic faith. And then I just kind of walked away from it. didn't really, it didn't, didn't matter to me. You know, I kind of thought, okay, I've, I've graduated from church, I guess if you want to call it that, by making my confirmation, and now I'm gonna go pursue my own interests and live my own life. And that's what I did for the most part. Uh, again, sports was so you know, big of a thing for me that even when I got to high school after making that confirmation, my goal was to always become uh, you know, a broadcaster in the sports world. And so I just pursued that with everything I had.
0: So a broken home and an alcoholic father. Uh, certainly over yeah. my years of doing these podcasts, Jason, I've heard that story and you have done and you do with Sports Spectrum in this podcast world, a weekly podcast over what coming up on five years now. Um, I am sure that as you say those words or you hear me say those, a broken home and an alcoholic father, there are others you have talked to through your years that share some of that testimony. How much hurt? You say God, sports was your God. Um, how much How much hurt was in that home and was sports
1: not only your God, but your outlet for that hurt? That's a great question. Um, you know, when I was younger, there wasn't a ton of hurt because I didn't know any better. Uh, I tell people all the time when I was seven or eight or nine years old, my dad would take me to the bar and he would give me some quarters and I would go play pinball. That's how old I am before video games. I would go play pinball and he would watch whatever the game was at the bar and sit with his friends and drink you know, for hours and I would have quarters and a soda and play pinball. So to me, that was a great time. So I wasn't ever angry about that. It wasn't until I became old enough to understand that there was a real issue here mm-hmm. and a real problem with what my dad was doing. And that was probably 13, 14, so seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And it was during those years, Brock, where there was a lot of anger. And unfortunately, that anger continued for many, many years. I mean, into my 30s and even early 40s with regards to my dad. um, Sports definitely was an outlet. Um, What's weird is that my dad and I, as we even have a relationship now, the commonality that we have when we chat is sports. It's really all we talk about. It's all we talked about then. So it was a really weird dynamic because – As much as I love sports and I was around my dad and he was always wanting to talk about sports as I got older, I couldn't enjoy it in the way that I wanted to have it be enjoyed because there was always that caveat, is dad drinking again? Is he sober or is he drunk? And so it was a weird, I don't know, push-pull, love-hate kind of relationship in some ways. I love sports. I just didn't love talking sports or the sports aspect of what it brought when my dad was around my dad, most of his drinking that he would do. And he went on many binges and and had some really bad moments. Those drinking, those moments that he would drink for the most part were involved around something to do with sports. (laughs) He loves sports. He loves his teams. And when those moments would happen, when his team would lose or something happened with whatever he would, he would, he would, go to the bottle. And so I, I don't know if I, can, if I can even explain it properly, Brock, but I love sports. I didn't like the sports that my dad loved because it made him act like a different person that I didn't like.
0: But you knew you wanted a life in sports. or I at least, did. Or at least as a kid and through high school and as you push on into college, you really felt a pull that I want to cover sports.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you don't know if it's going to happen you know, we all have dreams as kids. And I meet a lot of people who have, you know, these dreams of what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, I would have told you at seven or eight years old, I want to be a professional athlete. And I would have told you at 14 or 15, I want to do what I was able to do. I mean, I, my high school yearbook, my quote was to be the greatest sports announcer since Howard Cosell. That was my ambition. You know, that tells you how old I am, because Howard Cosell was a big deal back in the, Late eighties and early nineties. A lot but, of the audience right now is Googling right now. It's okay. Go, go Google Howard Cosell. <laughs> Howard Cosell. <laughs> Yeah, he's a pretty, he's a pretty big deal in the sixties and seventies in the broadcasting world. Uh, obviously, it didn't cur- turn out for me to be the next Howard Cosell, but that gives you an idea of where my mindset was at seventeen years old on um, what I wanted to do. So yeah, sport. I mean. If you'd have told me at 17 that I would have had the career that I had, I wouldn't have believed you, even though I put that I wanted to be the next Howard Cosell. Uh, but yes, that that was the hope. I mean, I got made fun of a lot because I was so immersed in sports. My mom used to say things like, man, you know sports. I wish you would know your school your schoolwork and have those grades as, as well as you know sports. And even now, as a believer, I I still get people saying, man, I wish you knew more about bible than you do about how much you know about sports and i said that's that's the jason before jesus who studied everything and memorized all these stats so uh yeah i mean that was the hope brock was that i would end up in sports you just don't know if that's going to happen but that was certainly the hope so
0: you grow up in ravina new york and after high school you go
1: where go to college uh when i graduated high school i didn't know a lot, there wasn't a lot of advisors or people around to kind of take you to where you wanna go. So I just looked in New York state for a two year broadcasting program school that wouldn't you know, put me in debt too much, but would allow me to get a degree. And so I went to Cayuga Community College, which is based in Auburn, New York, about 30 miles west of Syracuse. And I went out there for two years, Uh, I read online, no, I guess it wouldn't have been online, but I read in a magazine or somewhere that they had the best two-year broadcasting program in the state of New York. So that's where I went, because I wanted to do broadcasting. And by day two, when I walked in there as a 17-year-old, soon to be 18-year-old, I was very young, I was on the radio hosting a radio show for that station. So they put you right into the mix. Now, was I any good? No, I had no idea what I was doing. But I really cut my teeth early in learning that this is exactly what I would like to do someday. Mm. Broadcasting basketball games, broadcasting high school football games, learning about radio and learning about television announcing and audio, um, writing. All of these things that at 18 and 19 years old I was learning how to do. Um, So I got my two-year degree there. And then there was a a moment, and I'm happy to go into it if you want, uh, that I took two years off from college at 19 years old. Uh, Again, I didn't have a lot of advisors or people around me kind of say, you know, you need to go here, you need to go there. I just thought you get a two-year degree, got your associate's degree, maybe I'll get a job in broadcasting, but how do you even get a job in broadcasting? Doesn't there have to be a job opening in the newspaper in order to get a job? So uh, I just got a job out of college and my very first job was working at Toys R Us. (laughs) No joke. So I worked at Toys R Us for about a month and a half. Then I got a job working with my mom, not together, but at the same place at a hospital in Albany, Albany Medical Center. And I worked in the hospital for a year and a half full time, making six bucks an hour, working in the pathology department of Albany Medical Center at 21 years old. And I had this moment with my my great friend, my best man at my wedding, Eddie Nevis, And Eddie and I were rooming together while I was working at Albany Med in an apartment. And one day we both looked at each other and said, do you want to do this for the rest of your life? And we both said the same thing to each other. He was working as a teller at a bank and I was working as a lab information technician, I think was the title at Albany Medical Center. And I looked at him, I said, no, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And he said the same thing. And I said, well, what are our options here? And he goes, well, we, we need to go back to college and get our bachelor's degrees. And then hopefully from there, you know, we can go into what we want to get into. That's exactly what we did. We both reapplied, went back to college after two years out and uh, 21 years old, almost 22. And I was a junior in college. And I went to the State University of New York at New Paltz, which is an hour north of New York City. And they had the best four year communication and media program in the state. And I don't know why I thought about going, I didn't think about going to Syracuse or, you know, going outside of the state, but I, I was always thinking financially, what was the best situation for me. so I went to New Paltz and I got two years of hands-on experience. My focus was my grades. Uh, I did pretty well there in that, that area. And I got my degree, my bachelor's degree in communications and media. And 1997 and started my broadcasting career professionally about a month or two later.
0: Wow. And you but just yeah. went and knocked on the door in in Bristol, Connecticut, huh?
1: You just that wasn't it. right away though. That's not what happened. I'll tell you that. So it's funny you say knock on doors though, because when I graduated college in 97 and I was really done with college this time, but I knew I wanted to work in broadcasting. I took my resume and it was just a I don't even know how I had a resume. It was just college experience, right? For the most part, a little bit of internship experience. And I walked to every radio station or walked into every radio station in the Albany, New York area. And I said, I will do anything at your station. Before I could even get to a bunch of other ones, I went into WGY Radio, News Talk Radio 810 WGY in Albany, New York, the largest uh, radio station in New York State. It's a 50,000-watt AM powerhouse. You know the radio world, Brock, so you know where I'm talking about here. And I walked in there and handed the lady at the reception desk my resume. And the next day, I got a call to come and volunteer in the marketing department. Did that for like two or three days. And then I made sure once I was in that door to find the production people, the people who worked on the shows, the talk shows, the radio shows, And I found myself a great mentor, a guy named Mike Agustinac, and he took me under his wing. Mm -hmm. And for two months, without being paid any money, I just learned how to do radio on the professional level. And then I got a break, and I got my first job out of radio in September of 97 as a full-time radio producer, making $15,000 a year salary, not hourly. And yes, I said $15,000. But I loved it. I would have done it for a thousand dollars because it was broadcasting. It was radio. I didn't care. I was getting paid to work in radio, and it wasn't until three years later that ESPN started calling or came. Ha- you know, happened. So at this point, as you said to us earlier in the episode,
0: you don't know the Lord. You're not walking with the Lord. Right, but as don't. you're as you're trying to navigate these paths, trying to make these decisions, trying to see what doors are going to open, what your life has for you, it was not navigated by the Holy Spirit. It was not navigated by prayer. It was not navigated <laughs> no. um, by by many mentors other than, than your roommate. <laughs> you, yes, you both right. looked at each other in a key moment. So then, when when does that happen? You said at 27, so we got to be coming pretty near that yeah. time where the Lord came
1: knocking on your heart. Yeah, I got to ESPN in 2000, started there July 18th of 2000, was not a Christian. But in 1998, my middle brother, Chris uh, Romano, was the first in our family to begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, that was very foreign for me to hear those words. Um, I grew up in a a church that you just kind of attended. I, I never knew that you could have a personal relationship with Jesus. I just thought you'd go to church and you pray a prayer and you leave and you take the host and you take the wine and then you're done you know but my brother got saved in 1998 and became a follower of christ and when that happened i thought he was crazy because he changed i thought he was in a cult i said what is going on with this guy but that's after i got past that fact that he wasn't in a cult i really did brock I, i thought he was insane and I've told him this um, because he did a 180. He was on a path that was so dark and bad and he turned his life around. And I'm like, only cults, that only happens in cults, right? Where you start, you know, doing these weird things. But then I watched how he lived his life. I really did. I watched how he got married and treated his wife, Tara. I watched how he became a dad to Sam, my nephew, and how he loved Sam. Watch how He talked. I watch how he talked to me. I watch how he he would say things like, I'm praying for you, Jason, I really genuinely am. God's got great plans for you. And I always thought, yeah, okay, whatever. But I watched it, and I watched him live it. And Mother's Day, 2001, so this is 10 months after I started working at ESPN, my brother Chris invites me, and my mom, and my other brother, Damien, to church. To go to his church, and then to go hang out and spend Mother's Day together brock i told you i was in a catholic church when i was younger my brother's church was the opposite end of the spectrum it was a spirit-filled charismatic church we'll just say that and it had worship music and rock bands and singing and people raising their hands and clapping Uh, i felt like i was at a concert and then when that's done a pastor comes up and speaks for like 30 minutes and shares a powerful message and i'm thinking This is not like the church that I grew up in. And it wasn't, it was a little weird, uh, especially the worship part. If you've never been around a church where there's worship and singing and clapping, it's very strange. But the message that day, and I don't even remember what it was, but the pastor shared a message and that was at least interesting to me. To the point where I ended up back at my brother's house and we're in his, you know, hanging out. And he's like, "Uh, what'd you think of the church service? And I said, I thought it was, okay, it was all right. And I don't know why <clears throat> he saw that, but when he heard me say it was all right and that I didn't hate it, he said, really, you didn't hate it? Come with me if you would. I want to talk to you about something. And I said, okay. So he brings me to the back bedroom of his house and we're sitting on, his, on his, the end of his bed. And he looks at me and he says, um, I really want to share with you about the gospel. Are you willing to hear it? And I said, yeah, I am. Well, I don't know what that means, but tell me more. And he proceeds to tell me about Jesus and salvation and the cross and why as a person born into this world, you know, we are in need of a savior because of the sinners that we all are. And again, I didn't fully understand or grasp it, but he basically then said, do you want this? Hmm. And I said, I think I do. And so we prayed together. I really don't remember exactly what I prayed. It was probably the quote unquote sinner's prayer. Uh, And I, began a relationship with Christ that day. I don't know if I died that day, Brock, if I would've gone to heaven, because I really didn't know what I was saying yes to. I just know that my heart was open that day. And I tell people all the time, if you're gonna start a relationship with Christ, all you need is your heart to be open. You don't need to have it all figured out. You don't even need to clean yourself up. If you're in a really bad place, you just need to have a heart to say yes. And that's what I did. Now, it took me about a year a full year to fully grasp and understand what I had said yes to. I got baptized probably 18 months later after I got saved, but I said yes and I began that relationship. And then now it's been 20, almost 21 years and uh, I'm still learning, I'm still growing. The sanctification process is still occurring every single day, Uh, but I am so thankful to my brother who is my hero and my best friend that he had the gumption to just say, can I share with you about this Jesus that I have hope in, recognizing that I was willing to at least listen. And it changed and, my life. And the impact
0: of that, you said your brother was, did a 180 like a cult. Like, it just was so yeah. shocking and striking. Yeah. Uh, if the folks at ESPN were then watching. Right as you were in the sanctification process, and as you get baptized, and they knew the Jason Romano that walked in the door, and as a grinder, the Jason Romano that I know, that is a producer, right? That that we work together, and and yes. man, you are dialed in, and and you you dot your eyes and you cross your T's and <laughs> here's questions, and you got a producer's heart, right? If they watched, as I'm sure they did, is now Jason, you know, Romano becomes a Christian a believer. In, in in those buildings
1: at ESPN, like what <laughs> what does what does that then look like? For the first six or seven years, it didn't look much different. Sadly, um, I think the biggest thing for me that changed that they that maybe somebody would have noticed was that for me this isn't for everybody, but for me I was convicted of my language, my mouth. And so about two years later, I I made a decision, and it it was a process as well, to stop cursing and to do the best I could to not have any foul language coming out of my mouth. And people noticed that, but they didn't notice a big change. Like, I didn't know how to be a Christian in the workplace, Brock, I didn't. I didn't know that you could do that. I thought, if you're a believer, well, you're a believer, but you go to church on Sundays, and maybe you go to a Bible study in the middle of the week, or maybe you go to a small group, Maybe you have a church in the middle of the week, prayer time or whatever, and then you go to work. And that's kind of what I thought. And for me, you know, church was here, a small part of my life. My family was here, a small part of my life. I I wish they were, I would say they were a bigger part at the time, but they clearly weren't. ESPN was the biggest part of my life, sadly. Um, I gave everything I could to ESPN uh, for many, many years. I mean, I gave it to as much as I could for all of the years I was there. But I tell people for the first seven or eight years of my career at ESPN, ESPN was my god. It was the number one thing I cared about. And you know, that's I'm um, I'm ashamed in saying that. In some cases, as much as I love my wife and my daughter, of course I do. Um, I put work ahead of my family for sure. I certainly put work ahead of my faith. Uh, but I was still growing. I didn't even know what that word sanctification meant until like five years ago, Brock, honestly. But that's what it is. You're growing. Um, I would say I was growing in my faith. I just didn't know how to bring it into the workplace or or, or that you could even do that. Um, and it wasn't until somewhere around 2009 or so. And your former coach, Tony Dungy, comes to ESPN and everything changes. Talk to me about
0: that. Because I know it, I read it in your book. We talked about it actually in our final episode of, of the weekly slant. Talk to me about that, what Coach Dungy? Because I can just, it, I could just picture it. Is you're going to paint this story? I can so picture Coach
1: Dungy a huge impact. In fact, the day that he comes to ESPN, I tell people change my life forever. Here's why. He comes to ESPN. He's writing a book called The Mentor Leader, and it's. One of his, I mean, he's, first of all, he's a phenomenal writer. <laughs> if you haven't listened or read any of Tony Dungy's books, go read them. They're all amazing. But the mentor leader was coming out. And, you know, at the time I was a talent producer, talent booker at ESPN. So you, you basically secure the guests that come through the ESPN hallways and that go on the ESPN airwaves, television and radio. And we had a thing called the ESPN car wash in Bristol. And what that meant was you would bring a guest through ESPN and book them on a bunch of different shows. We called it the Car Wash. And the Car Wash was a pretty big deal around that time. We were having a lot of big name guests come through. And I get a call that Coach Dungey is available to promote his book and come to ESPN. And he had just started, I think, at NBC. So it wasn't too long into his broadcasting career. I don't remember when he retired. It might've been right that right the year before. Because Jim Caldwell was the coach of the 09 Colts when they went to the, uh, to the Super Bowl. So he certainly was gone by then. But he came to ESPN and, you know, he was coming with his assistant, Jessica, and his, his uh, publicist, Todd. And all of them were believers. And Jessica and I had worked on projects previously with, you know, ESPN and some guests that we had booked. So we, we, we knew each other pretty well. So Coach Dungey comes, he does Mike and Mike in the morning as his first radio hit and television hit. And then we end up in our green room at ESPN, which is basically just a conference room that you hang out in for a few few minutes while you're waiting for the next you know, thing on your calendar. And for some reason, and maybe this is just Coach Dungy being Coach Dungey, because I had never met him. I was very excited to spend time with him, especially because he was a Christian. But he found out I was a Christian, probably from Jessica or Todd. But he found out I was a Christian and we're sitting in there and he just starts a conversation with me. He didn't need to do that. He could have started it or we could have just asked him all the questions like it usually is. But he said, Jason, it's so good that you're doing this. Thank you. How long have you been here? Blah, blah, blah. I understand you're a Christian. And then he asked me a question, Brock, that changes my life forever. And it's just a simple question, but I never heard it before. He said, how do you live your faith out in the workplace here at espn i understand you're a believer how do you how do you do that i didn't have a good answer in fact i don't even know if i had any answer i looked at him and i said coach because everybody calls him coach i said coach i don't know if you can even do that i said i'm a christian but i i'm working at espn i think i'd have to work at the fellowship of christian athletes or sports spectrum or athletes in action or some church to live my faith out in my job. And I could sense Coach Dungy was just disappointed with my answer, Brock, he's just kinda like, hmm, okay. But before he could even respond, Jessica steps in, right in front of Coach Dungy, because we had had a previous relationship and worked together, she knew me, and she just put her hands on her hips and looked at me like that angry wife looks at a husband when he does something wrong, or that mom looks at a kid when they come home late from school or whatever. And she just shook her head and said, Jason, you don't get it, do you? <laughs> just like that. I said, I don't get it. Jess, what, what don't I get? I don't understand. She goes, you don't understand what Coach Dungey was just asking you. Look at where you work. You're at ESPN. Look at all the people that you can impact. Look at all the people that you can be a light to. Look at all the people that you can live your faith out to and make an impact. And then she said these words, Brock. I think you might have thought Coach Dungy said them, but it wasn't him. It was actually Jessica who said, until God calls you away someday, maybe he will. And spoiler alert, he did. But maybe he will. Until he calls you away, you are to bloom where you are planted right here at ESPN. And until he calls you away, this is where God has planted you. So bloom, bloom where you're planted right here. Don't be so focused on potentially thinking you have to leave to be a Christian. You're a Christian everywhere you go. And I could see Coach Dungey in the background like, that's my girl, that's my girl. (laughs) Um, Just because I knew that that was the answer I was probably supposed to give that he was hoping for that I just didn't know about. But Jessica changed my life, Coach Dungy changed my life because I realized from that moment that I wasn't just an ESPN producer who happened to be a Christian. I was a believer in Jesus Christ first that happened to be an ESPN producer, that happened to be a husband, a dad, a friend, whatever. My faith in Christ had to come first. It had to be the center of all that I was. Now that took a while too to fully grasp, but that day, Jessica and coach Tony Dungy changed my life forever and changed my perspective forever that I understand, okay, now I can go to work every day at ESPN and there's a, an intentionality, there's a mission that I'm on each day to be the best example of Jesus that I can be to the people that I work with each day.
0: Did that day, that moment, that growth, that, that, those roots that started to plant that day, was it at that time as well that you realized, all right, I've got to tackle this thing called forgiveness with my
1: dad. That's a great question. Um, Because a little background, after I became a Christian, I still struggled with my relationship with my dad. My dad um, continued to drink heavily in his 20s and his 30s and his 40s and his 50s, all the way to almost 62 years old. And I harbored a lot of bitterness and anger. um, As Ephesians 4 talks about, to let us put away all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander. I had all of that towards my dad. And it was probably four years later till I was able to forgive him, uh, so it wasn't right away. I wished I could have told you that I understood what forgiveness was all about, what it meant giving that forgiveness to others. I understood, and I don't know why it took me a while to get this, Brock, but I understood the whole aspect of faith and accepting Christ into your life is based on forgiveness. We go to Jesus and say, listen, I'm, I'm going to come to you right now as I am. I've made a ton of mistakes. I'm an idiot, whatever. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you forgive me for all these things? There's a process there that has to take place between you and God in order to get to that moment. So I did that and I understood that for- forgiveness came from God towards me, but then bestowing that forgiveness on others for the most part, I think I didn't have any issues with that except my dad. And I had thought I had forgiven him for many years because I allowed, I allowed him back into my life. You know, phone calls, gatherings, whatever. But every single time he would drink and get drunk and we would be together or I was on the phone with him and I knew that he was drunk, I would just turn into him in a different way. So he was bitter and angry and screaming and saying things you should never say to a son And he said those to me in some really foul language. I would turn around and just push that right back on him and scream and yell at him and say some things I'm not proud of either. And that told me now that I look back on this whole thing that I had not forgiven him yet. Because if I had put that bitterness and anger aside and forgive as God and Christ have forgiven me, that's not what would have happened. There would have been some fruit. The fruit of the spirit would have existed. I may not have, I may still have been a little angry with him, but I wouldn't have lashed out in that true rage that I was doing towards him. So it wasn't until 2013 he hit his lowest point. He was in a full depressed mode, a uh, lot of mental health issues as well as the alcohol. And he tried to end his life. Um, he took a bunch of pills in June of 2013, and he was just done with life. Uh, I'm glad he didn't die. Uh, he's alive still, uh, but he took that moment to to try and just, I think, anytime somebody does that, there's a you know a, a wake-up call for that person, but also for other people to realize this is not a good situation. And I finally had empathy for my dad, Brock. I mean, I'd never had that before, but I finally started to see things from his perspective and his point of view. When I was able to do that, that's what led me to realize, okay, whatever you're feeling, Jason, you gotta forgive this man. Not for him, but for me. I needed to forgive my dad because I was the one that was trapped in this anger and this bitterness. So the forgiveness process that I still call it is a process was never for my dad. It was never based on what my dad was going to do or not do. It was always based on my ability to live my faith out properly by forgiving those who have trespassed against me. And that's what I did, I, I made that choice. And it's been, gosh, nine years now, almost. And, you know, it's not an easy thing. Uh, there's still, I call it a process. It's not an instantaneous thing that happens and everything's hunky-dory and perfect. But I'll tell you what, I could sense freedom for myself pretty quickly after I made that decision. Like, oh, I'm not stuck in this chain, these chains of bondage and anger over my dad anymore. I wanted him to get better and I wanted him to get sober, but my bitterness and anger towards him could not be predicated on whether he was going to get anger or mm-hmm. get sober or not. It had to be based upon what God has done for me and what God has commanded all of us to do towards others, and that's forgive.
0: So much so that you felt the leading to write a book about it so much so that as you have (laughs) been blooming in jessica's words in in sanctification in this process of growth you've not only written Mm -hmm. one book right you wrote on forgiveness you also wrote on leadership it feels as if you are blooming it feels as if going back to that conversation not not to you know pump you up or speak to your ego but it sure feels like the Lord is blooming you in these outlets of this, you know, podcast platform, sports spectrums, growth and development, all time highs and listenership, which is beautiful, not for you, but for the, for the platform and for sports spectrum. And then ultimately so much so that now you become an author and you're writing books so people can hear that truth.
1: Yeah. I, I never want, wanted to write books, Brock, uh, if I if you had told me at 25 you're going to write a book about your dad and forgiveness, I would have laughed in your face and said, "No way, no how, never." I mean, even to this day, I do not enjoy writing. Uh, you you mentioned producing. I'm a I'm a producer by heart. I'm a content guy. I like creating content, especially in the audio and in the digital and the television space. Uh, but writing is not my favorite thing to do. It's probably probably my least favorite thing to do. When this opportunity came to write a book about forgiveness and my dad, uh, it kind of just fell in my lap in a very weird way. And I said yes, though. And there was a, that was an interesting season of life in 2016 where any doors that were opening, I was really willing to walk through and just say yes and see what God was going to do. That included leaving ESPN, that included speaking, opportunities to speak. Why is somebody asking me to go to their conference or to their place and speak? But I said, yes, I'm like, I'm not gonna ask why, I'm just gonna say yes to it and see what happens. And then writing this book, and, and this book came from somebody hearing me give a sermon at my church about forgiveness and my dad's story and saying, you need to put this story in a book and it, it needs to be written because it's gonna help a lot of people. So that's how that started. And you know, the idea of writing a book, I knew it had to be as real and raw and as transparent as possible. Uh, I knew it was going to portray my dad as the villain for a good portion of it. Uh, And I also knew I needed my dad's permission, as weird as that sounds. I didn't want to, or I didn't necessarily need it, but for me personally, I needed to know that he was gonna be okay if I was gonna write about our life. And I needed to know that my brothers and my mom were gonna be okay with it too, and my wife for that matter, although she's not in the book that much. I just needed people to know that once this gets written, it's gonna be there forever. And it's our family, mm-hmm. but my dad said something, and you know, my dad's not a Christian still, Brock. Um, so, if anybody's listening that is, and they want to pray for anything, pray for my dad um, and his salvation. But my dad is was very wise in a very vulnerable state at, in 2016, and said, Jason, if you're being approached to write a book about our confusing relationship, that's better now than it was. You need to write it because if it can help one person, that's it. That's it. If it can help one person and we don't write it, then we're doing a disservice. And he said we, but he never wrote anything, but he was a big part of the book. And so we said yes to that. And we wrote that book, uh, and then a second book, of course, he wrote one book, you wanna write a second? Sure, what am I gonna write on? Well, how about your time at ESPN? Um, Which is really all I knew, but it was storytelling in the second book, and that was a much more enjoyable book to write, to be honest. Uh, But the first book I think is going to be a more powerful, impactful, and important book. Probably the most important thing that I'll ever have done, at least to this point in my life, is writing that book because Mm -hmm. of the impact that it can have on other people's lives.
0: And lastly here, and this is a cool timing, is we're in mid-February or nearing mid-February or early February of 2022. You're getting ready to hit the road and, and get down to the Super Bowl and cover so many of those athletes that are sharing their story, right? You you referenced Jessica and Coach Dungey in 2009, and I think how differently it is 13 years later of so many players across so many sports that want to share and are willing in 2022 to share their story and to share their faith in ways that was not, not common in your upbringing and my upbringing, even in our years at ESPN together. I guess I ask you this final question As you look to what the Lord has for you in the future as you look for that next place to bloom. What is it in Jason's heart now?
1: Man. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if I fully know the answer, but I do know that, or I believe that God has continued to provide opportunities, A, that I never expected, even doing this, right? I didn't, when I first discovered your podcast, I never thought, oh, I'm gonna be a guest on that show someday, that's not my thinking. My thinking was probably maybe I can help him produce that show, you know, just in my mindset of what what I'm good at. So I think I'm at a place where it's been five years since I left ESPN, I've seen God do amazing things, and not only in my own personal life, but in the work that we're doing with Sports Spectrum and how we're growing and how we're creating and evolving with different content. And I don't know what that's gonna look like in five years. I hope it looks amazing and I hope I'm still there. But I'm also smart enough to know that God has his plans and my plans are fine, but I really wanna follow his plans. So if his plan is for me to someday leave there, but he's got another door open, then then I want to I wanna say yes to that because that's his plan. Uh, But I really like where I am right now. I love Sports Spectrum. I love that I get to do what I get to do every day. I love that I get to go to the Super Bowl and talk to football players about Jesus. Nobody else is doing that at the Super Bowl. Um, They're all talking about the game. I'm talking about Jesus, uh, or I'd like to talk about Jesus. So I I understand completely that what I'm doing is, not exactly what i thought i would be doing when i was 22 and yet it's everything that i thought i'd be doing when i was 22 just in a completely different way so in the future i hope i get to do what i'm continuing to do i I was telling dawn this the other day my wife i said if if i if we hit the lottery someday right or something or we came into like a million dollars and didn't have to work for the rest of our lives um would i still do what i'm doing and i and (laughs) My wife's like, I don't think I would. I said, I totally understand, honey. I said, but I think I would. I think I would continue to do on some level the work I'm doing right now because I just love it so much. Um, I work hard at it. I take it seriously. Uh, I do want to have, I have a competitive spirit, a competitive edge, as you know, having worked with me, that I want to do well. I want to make work, great work, and do it really well. But I just love what I get to do and I don't see it as work. Uh, I see it as mission. Uh, I call our minist- I call Sports Spectrum a media ministry. I see it now as a ministry, and you know, I saw ESPN as a ministry too the last couple of years. But Sports Spectrum, I'm just excited that people are discovering it. Still, I got an email yesterday just just discovered your show. I'm like, it's been around five years, but he's like, I just discovered your show and it's amazing. And I'm like, thank you, God. Like. Yeah let's keep going here. And so I don't know what that looks like, Brock, but you know, I can't wait to find out.
0: Can I also say, I, I said one last question. Can I just add one more? Because there is no way after chatting with you for nearly an hour now, and just looking at you and looking at our relationship and our friendship and, and our similar past, as Matt Hasselback said, as you and I started on this journey, <laughs> how you yeah. and I also found an incredible teammate in Compassion International. I've told, yes. I think I told you the story of that partnership, and it was 100% God bringing their marketing director in in a seat next to me on a flight to Hartford, Connecticut. At just the time this show was looking for a sponsor, Compassion International became my teammate, and they have been an incredible teammate with
1: you as well. They have. Um, I love what Compassion International is about. Um, we knew about Compassion before I was even you know, gone from ESPN, because we had always sponsored a child through them for many years. Uh, I remember hearing that they had sponsored your show in 2017 and thinking they would be a great partner for Sports Spectrum someday. And lo and behold, the way God works um, in 2018, they became a partner and a sponsor of Sports Spectrum's podcast, and they have been ever since. Mm -hmm. And so they sponsor your show. They sponsor our show. Uh, they're a big part of our overarching ministry with Sports Spectrum, and I love what they are all about, releasing kids from poverty. I loved what happened in 2020, as horrible as that sounds with the pandemic, and it was awful. I loved how Compassion stepped up with professional athletes and did the Fill the Stadium initiative and raised $40 million to save you know, 70,000 kids and their families who were stuck in poverty. I love that They have such a heart's desire to share the gospel with each and every kid that comes through their program. I love that there's a ton of people in the sports world that are connected there. So it really marries the sports, the faith, you know, worlds in in such a great way. I love the heart of Jimmy Mayato, the CEO uh, of Compassion. I've got to meet him many times. I I love what they stand for. And the fact that they are partners for this show, for Sports Spectrum, uh, it really brings it full circle, Brock, in a lot of ways, and uh, you know I can't speak highly enough about them. And I'm really thankful that they believe in the work that we get to do as well, uh, and believe that supporting us and allowing us to support them—it's uh, just been a great relationship to be a part of. And I love compassion. I hope they're they're continued partners with us for many years to come because the work that they do is so important. And I
0: love that 60 minutes felt like one. That's a pretty that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Jason, I so too, appreciate buddy. you, man. I so appreciate you. It's been a long time coming. Uh, one last little peel, the, the layer back or the Indian back, is we were to do this. who? When were we scheduled to tape this? When you had come out to uh, to Colorado for some work, and it was that day. In the day, fall, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was that day that we heard some just – heart-wrenching news with one of my son's teammates on his baseball team that is still in the fight for his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, you came over and I was in tears. I was like, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know you brought all your equipment. We're trying to do this. But man, this is just, I just don't have capacity right now to do it. And to, to fast forward months ahead uh, from then and to get a chance to do this today and connect has been a, a gift and a blessing. Look forward to uh, the days and the journey ahead. Thank you, Jason.
1: Thank you, Brock. I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. And uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at AboveAndBeyondPodcast.com.